Mabuhai. I'm Jamie Panetta, and this is the Decolonizing Medicine Podcast. You might hear my dog chewing her little bone in the background. Anyways, I am a queer, non-binary trans person, and my ancestors are Tagalog and Chinoy. My healing arts practice is located at Fruit Camp in Baltimore, Maryland. My guest today is Rochelle Faithful. They are a Black conjurer, folk healer, shamanic practitioner, and culture worker rooted in DC and Virginia. Since initiation in 2015, they have supported thousands of kindred, ancestors, and spirits in spiritual direction, energy medicine, divination, as well as magic and death dualship. Their work has been featured in Color Lines, The Root, and other platforms. Rochelle weaves their mysticism into other work around healing justice strategy, conflict transformation, movement lawyering, and community organizing. Just for context, this episode was recorded on June 29th, 2022, right after the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Michelle, how are you today? I'm doing as well as can be expected today. Yeah. <laughs> how are you maintaining? You know, a lot of shit's really rough right now, but I'm finding my places of joy. I'm finding my places of connection and love. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if there are spaces right now, for me at least, where those things don't those things um they have to coexist together that is just that's right. that is just how it is yeah so yeah. uh my first question for you which i guess is relevant to what i just um spoke about is how did you come into healing work i always appreciate this question i think my answers are different every time depending where i am and understanding not only my own healing journey, but also where we are collectively. And I just feel this week we entered into, you know, we're speaking at the end of June, and I feel like we've entered into even a different dimension of this time period um, where I think the stakes are quite high. And that's at least felt for me, and therefore makes me even more committed uh, and invested and also appreciative that this is the way I'm moving and people around me have been moving. So I think one way of answering that question is like all of us or many of us, I entered into healing work in part to find myself. And I think also, like a lot of people, it happened in a way that wasn't very linear, right? There it's in pieces of my life that I remember just being pivotal because I was following a question and an inquiry. And I think that's still true for me. If I'm following an inquiry for a certain period of time, it leads me to these different places. And the challenge is being brave enough to keep saying yes to that inquiry and where it brings you. So I remember even as a disillusioned teenager in a space um, I grew up in, Northern Virginia, in a particular part of Northern Virginia that was pretty white, 
really fluent, really evangelical. Um, and also, yeah, just, and, and pretty um, buttoned up in a lot of ways. And that was not my family, that was not me. And so a lot of finding myself and healing was even trying to validate where I existed in this particular part of the world. And this is, you know, pre-internet really. So a lot of finding myself was also just like actively trying to connect to people that at least on identity levels, we may not have a lot in common with, but we were <laughs> the outsiders of the community. I was doing my best to read books and stories to come into the city as often as I could, all just to locate myself. And I made that connection to politics earlier on. So I was doing activism even in high school. Um, and it wasn't until later that we really got grounded in spirituality for me. I knew what I was not. I was not an evangelical Christian. And I felt connected to some of the ways in which my mom experienced spirituality, which is more of a connection to nature and understanding uh, universe or God or whatever connects us as being very um, amorphous, but intelligent uh, and complex, but inherently loving. All things that were not at least demonstrated to me through the evangelical Christian community I lived in. So through college, I was interested in more contemplative practice and did some of that on my own. Uh, that deepened when I left college um, for me, the trajectory then brought me back into DC where I found a people of color sangha, which helped me really ground in some really important teachings around mindfulness and some around the Dharma, but mostly allowed me a space to be in that meditative practice. And the story goes from there where I found energy work in Reiki. I had an affinity for that. Um, and that expanded my worldview and my sense of like what healing that was even possible could be. And that brought me home over a series of years to uh, the tradition I'm most connected to now, which is conjure, right? The Southern U.S.-based practice of um, enslaved Africans, part of the African diasporic set of um, spiritual traditions. And that was like almost like a whole decade journey I just described to you in trying to locate and find myself. Um, so my healing work continues very much um, on a spiritual level, but I'm also spending a lot of time these days just on my own emotional healing, continuing to do different levels of my trauma work, understanding why I still like the ways in which I react to things or things that, that really activate me um, deeper into somatic practices and uh, understanding uh, the more visceral levels of how I exist and what that means. And I always have said to folks, I've been influenced by different teachers and seekers who have tried not to, um, on one hand, try to remind us how integrative our experiences are, right? Because, of course, our spiritual and emotional bodies are connected. They're all one body. At the same time, they can be different kinds of work. Uh, the spiritual work that we need to do uh, 
doesn't replace emotional work we need to do, right? And I feel like that often gets very confused in our circles. I would love to hear your thoughts about that too, because I think that discernment is really important. And yet, um, I think for a lot of good reasons, it's very confusing to folks, unless you've been brought to that question and had to discern. Um, but I've, I've been grateful the last few years through the pandemic, spending a lot of time on the emotional work that I've been brought to, not because I haven't done it before, but just in the spiral effect that we also often have in this world, right? There's just been a deeper layer that I think many folks have experienced and I've also experienced over the last couple of years. I think that discernment piece is really important. Um, I, uh, one of my witch teachers, Ilva, um, I remember I was attending one of her lectures and she, <laughs> She brought up like, you know, magic isn't magic doesn't fix everything. Like you can't just assume magic is mm -hmm. what you need to address a problem. Like maybe you need therapy. Maybe you need to That's be right. on meds. Maybe you need to like dance or go exercise or you need to change your diet. It's even though all of these things are interconnected, it like if someone's having a psycho emotional problem, I'm not going to be like, oh, let's sit down and like talk about your nutrition. You know, like it's, it's, it's not that nutrition isn't related or that it wouldn't help someone and support them, but, um, that discernment is really important. I have definitely been in situations where, um, I had healing to attend to, but there, there is something I was attaching some kind of escapism to spiritual exploration Mm -hmm. Um, and, and now with the analysis of, of being neuro, like neurodivergent, being autistic, um, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, was I sensory seeking? But I was mm. like sensory seeking in a spiritual way, way, um, which isn't necessarily bad, but it's not the same as healing. Yes. It's different. Yes. And so it's. Yeah, like I don't, I don't think that those are are bad behaviors or or bad to be sensory seeking, but you know, it doesn't necessarily. It's not always going to service in the way that we were intending if we are not clear about what our intention is and what we are actually doing with our actions. Thank you for sharing your experiences. Absolutely, yeah, I I really feel you both on the magic piece of discernment. Um, magic is not a band-aid for all aspects of our human condition, as powerful as it is. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a sermon around what's, for me, like what's appropriate, what serves best for this particular uh, need right now. And that is so context specific. And um, I hear you too, that like, especially in the spiritual seeking side, right, it, it can manifest or at least illuminate um, lots of different needs we have, even ones we're not even clear we have initially, right, but in that discovery about ourselves and how we are, exist in the world. Um, I do love that sometimes that byproduct of spiritual seeking of just like, um, we discover pieces of ourselves to, to help us understand how we exist in the world and and that's that ha can have a healing effect i think right to understand ourselves better on that level 
Um, and it may not be what yeah, we had thought we were seeking out spiritually, right? To answer this deep philosophical question about the universe and um, and how we're situated in it. Um, and yet we still discover something that's really important. So I hear you that like, it's not bad. <laughs> it's not wrong. Even to the extent that we even use those dichotomies and labels, but like it, 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 you know, there, there can be your clarity of intention um, can help direct, right? The clarity of what you actually land on for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that leads really, um, really well into the next question I have for you, which is what have you observed in how you approach medicine in the before times, before Rona, and now during the pandemic, and has it changed for you at all? I think so. I mean, so much has been transformed for me in the world in these last few years. Um, I think... As you know, Jamie, I'm a, I consider my medicine to be of the spiritual and energetic side. And I have a lot of appreciation for folks like you who do like more body-based work because <laughs> that is not my ministry. Um, so I've been really tuned into uh, what medicine has been um, either helpful for me and those close to me. I have made a more specific intention to be working in my life a little more narrowly and more deeply. So I've been less visible, I think, than I have been in the before times, because I've had my own discernment of just like, this is what I need to do for myself and my capacity. And also like, for me to feel more values aligned with um, how I speak about care, in particular, it's like, I want to actually just be much more deliberate in my care for myself and those in my sphere of influence than necessarily just in the world, right? And I know at, for other people, right, they're actually being called to scale their work. And I think that's beautiful as long as you're very clear about, you know, where you need to be right now. But for me, the before times, I was more visible, more available <laughs> publicly. And I've been asked to um, really bring things home and specifically I've been doing a lot around grief work I felt I had supported folks from like 2018 to 2020 around um, some death work mostly along the lines of folks who were um, considering um, ending, ending their lives by suicide and I won't get into more details around that, but I, there's something about being a, a, a compassionate companion to folks in, in their experiences of grief, that's what they were experiencing, that um, called me into death dealership. So I got training for that in 2020. And that's still a really deep part of my practice right now. It's like, how can we companion ourselves to our own grief and others' grief, especially considering that we're gonna, we're in right a, a global cosmic right dying process so what does that actually mean to exist inside of that and still feel connected to our humanity and to feel connected to spirit whatever that means for us and I've also been in a practice of like a lot of um 
again, we come back to discernment. But I think for me, particularly the discernment between being still and movement, like when do I need to be still? When is it wise to listen and to ground? And when is it wise to move, right? Because there's a, a lot of urgent shit out here, right? So when do we actually need to move and be nimble and be, be agile, right? And being both like discerning that, but also being in practice around that has been really uh, important to me in thinking about my medicine and the medicine that others are holding, right? Because I think for those of us who are still perpetually moving, right, and are genuinely beyond burned out, I think about the cost for people individually and us collectively. And for folks who are very still and uh, very slow, um, that serves in its way. And I also think about the ways in which there might be missed opportunities, right, individually and also more important collectively for us, depending on the medicine that they're holding, right? So I want to be in that practice myself. And um, I even think about our Qigong class that I was able to be a part of and how, how so much of that practice, I think, helps with that discernment, right? Even somatically. Um, so that even things like that, right? In receiving my medicine, even from you and others, right? I can practice that understanding of myself and even be present to my own grief and grieving process processes. Um, but I, I wonder what, what that's like for you, whether it's felt... Um, clear in your body, clear in your being, right? Whether to be still or to move. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, what that's been like for you? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, with the start of the pandemic, like it was so incredibly disorienting, I think for a lot of people. And, and from my own experience, I was exhausted in ways I didn't know I could be exhausted. I was also not moving in ways that I was so used to moving like physically, emotionally, and also like mentally. And I will say that it's still it, that um, discernment is a very dynamic thing because the pandemic hasn't been the same the entire time. And there, like, I, I am finding myself constantly having to reorient to this like, the, these constant changes within the pandemic itself, what's happening collectively, and then what's happening with me on an individual level. Um, so how I've been conceptualizing of that discernment of, of rest versus activity is it's easier for me to think of it as um, having a seasonal relationship where does this rest, if I'm resting, is this rest also in service to the action, the activity that I want to do later? And is the activity actually going to lead me to have more rest? Like, is this going to be a generative cycle that I'm participating in? Or is it something that either stagnates or burns me so burns me out so hard that I am like not able to have any action afterwards? Um, and let me say, I've gotten it wrong. <laughs> several times during <laughs> pandemic well wrong is not the right part like I'm not I'm not trying to be unkind to myself but sure. it is not easy to discern um all the time I feel that 
relate to it real hard. <laughs> Just like, yeah, it, it is in terms of adapting and regenerating in that way. Um, even if we're paying attention to seasons, um, our daily cycles, our weekly cycles, our monthly cycles. Yeah, because things are so dynamic. It's just like, I I feel like I get, some things get sharper, but I'm still like testing the limits of it all the time. Um, but I really appreciate what you're describing, even, even seasonally. It's like, how is my rest supporting my activity? How's my activity supporting my rest? And just really integrating those two is a true cycle. Um, I think you helped me articulate something that has intuitively felt more true for me. Um, Cause I have, I've been certainly resting more. Like I've created more spaciousness in my life. I've made choices to, um, I've had some privilege along these lines and I've made some choices to have more spaciousness. Um, Cause I can't even fully trust myself still around like that discernment all the time because I've been, um, I mean, of course there's capitalism programming to be active all the time. Um, I am very much an earthy creature. I love working. I actually love working <laughs> and it's not good for me to work as much though as I could have an impulse to, right? Like I enjoy play, play is very replenishing, it's very important. Um, and then also like, yes, I'm a Taurus. I'm a Capricorn (laughs) rising. I remember that. I was like, wait a minute, you're a Taurus. (laughs) I, I can work. Right. So that's, there's no doubt about that. Right. (laughs) But then, you know, there's also programming, I think too, for those of us who uh, are space holders, who do caregiving, um, gosh, I mean, there's just so many, and, you know, and some of us are also organizers, right. So there's so much activity that we could be called to. Um, and I think a lot of us follow a lot of the movements to like, to slow our lives, to have more naps. Um, but I think you're so, I really just appreciate your clarity of like that in connection to the activity that we know we're going to be doing is really, really vital. Um, and that even doing the, the things that I've been doing, the choices I've been making around the activities I've been doing I'm also doing them differently, right? So, th- so that they do feel uh, just much more in tune with the actual capacity I do have. Um, and also a trust in the long-term nature of all of us, right? Um, I think it hit me hard this past week, especially being a constitutional lawyer. I'm just like, my entire legal education was usurped in a week. <laughs> Uh, but it's made, made me really think about, oh, yeah, this is a lifestyle, life cycle of a movement, right? So how can I think about being really patient with myself and our collective as we uh, adapt and regenerate for cycles and timelines that are really months, years, decades, centuries, right? Especially if we think about the ecological aspects of of, of um regeneration um so it's all not happening right now that i'm very clear about um and you know i i have to be fearless enough to move what i need to move so it's i'd love envisioning that though as being integrated as like a cycle together 
So how do we expand our ideas of medicine at this particular apocalyptic stage? <laughs> and I think that apoc- like it got more apocalyptic since I wrote the, the questions for you. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then the Roe v. Wee thing happened. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yes, that, that it's actively happening. And in ways I've been speaking to my partner and others about this in ways that it, it really is hard to sometimes literally keep up with. I'm just like what part of the apocalypse is unfolding today. Um, so that's why I, I think there's a relationship between that. Right. Like as our our worlds around us are decaying to me that means how we think about medicine needs to expand that much more and in the past and that's also I think been my trajectory around healing right I I grew up with a very white western context of medicine I was not um, the person who grew up with conjure or other kind of sense of like spiritual medicine and what that means so I thought of it very narrowly as like allopathic um, MD doctor prescribing pills. That was mostly my concept of medicine. And I think over time, um, I, I continue to think about medicine as anything that um, can just tend to us. And it doesn't even have to be an ailment, right? I, I, I'm even like letting go of this idea of medicine having to treat illness. Um, right, as we think about it more holistically, it really is like what this allows us to tend to our beings. And that is something I have felt in my body the last few years. And I think what's transformed over the pandemic is um, I really am thinking about different forms of care and how medicinal care continues to be. Because that is one thing I feel very confident about that's going to survive the apocalypse. It's like I'm not counting on even things like maybe our banking systems maybe not existing. <laughs> I'm just like <laughs> I I'm not in a bunker somewhere, but like I'm not taking for granted much these days. Um, but I do feel deeply invested in my relationships because I'm like that really is something I feel like I can count on through whatever we're going to continue to go through. It's like, do we know how to relate to each other? Do we have close relationships? Do we actually have trust that is tested? Um, and can I actually care for either another human for our beyond human kin uh, and spirit? Like, can I care to those things? Can I do it well? Um, do I know what it's like to receive that? that I feel more confident about in these in these uh, increasingly apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic moment. Um, and that's the kind of expansion I've experienced. And uh, for someone like you who thinks, of, thinks about medicine all the time, I'm wondering, especially like this last month, has that shifted for you in any way? Um... I don't know if it's if it's shifted differently, but it's continuing to shift in the same direction where I just keep getting more fuel to go into a certain direction with how I relate to medicine. And that um, is really, it's two things. It's ancestral and then um, creativity, creation slash art. If we are to build 
medicine systems that really serve us um, as a collective, but also as individuals. Um, I really feel like we need to, we need the capacity to think beyond what we've been introduced to. And we also need the capacity to look at things that were in, in place before things like colonization happened. Um, Because all of us come from some culture that had deep medicine, even if it's not so apparent now, we all have, we all come from somewhere with an herbal tradition because there's plants wherever people live, you know, like there, like even white folks, white folks feel like, I don't know. They, they just like pretend like they don't have any traditions and that's just not true. They have, they have ancestors, they have medicine. They didn't, they didn't practice medicine the way that we see modern Western medicine now until like very recently, like the company of bear, which, um, is the first big pharmaceutical company that, you know, created aspirin and stuff like that's, that's like just the last couple hundred years. That's right. And, and medicine predates all of that. Medicine predates colonization. Medicine predates big pharma. Um, mm-hmm. There were holistic ways of practicing medicine in Europe before people started appropriating holistic medicine from East Asia and other parts of the world. Like, <laughs> so so yeah like to me there's that combination of of being creative with how we do things we have to be creative um we have to access art we have to be inspired we have to um be able to understand enough of what other people are going through so that we are constantly cultivating empathy for 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 each other um we need to have joy like if we are in, in, if we're intaking so much information um, all the time, like let's have some of that information be pleasurable. Let's have it be fantastical. Like I'm a, a huge proponent mm. of of reading fiction, specifically sci-fi and fantasy, Afrofuturism, to understand issues that are really complex and not easy to get from reading an academic journal. Okay. Well, at least for me, I don't know. Some other people, that's very easy for them. But I, I need to have magic and art and creativity uh, for me to, to fully grasp what's happening around me and for me to start imagining things in a different way. That, that imagination, that's creation energy. We need that right, right now because shit's getting destroyed. That's right. That's right. And I, it's something I often say um, in, in Black laboratory spaces, and I think it's true and it resonates strongly what you just shared, Jamie, is that I, I do feel like we are needing to create as if our lives depended on that. And I, I very much believe that, right? That creation energy, uh, which to me is love-based, right? It has to match and does match, right? I think at least universally speaking, um, creation energy exceeds the, um, our capacity to create can exceed the destruction energy, the decay energy. It's all imbalanced, perhaps, but I, I, I believe in that power of it and, and how we are changed, right? Being in that inspiration and that imagination energy. Um, I really feel you on that. Uh, also a big fan of speculative fiction. Also just 
laughing a lot more. I'm just like, I yeah. am laughing at the <laughs> sheer, sheer absurdity of, of the moment we're in. Right. I just feel like what kind of terrible <laughs> satire are we experiencing? Um, yep. So I'm also easy to laugh at this, these days, not because it's not serious, but because I'm like, that is, it's both a coping mechanism, but also like there is, I think, humor that we it's can absurd. access. It's just beyond absurd. Um, I was thinking about that yesterday also with the January 6th hearings. I'm like, this is just um, a poorly written satire that we yeah. are experiencing and living. Um, but I want to get back to something that's actually very important to me and I think important to you um, about what it means to not only acknowledge, but practice ancestral medicine now. So I think some people make the mistake of believing we're trying to go back to something that we can't go back to. And I'm like, no, that's not what's important to me in at least my conjure practice. To me, it has to be companioned with what we were just talking about, which is the imagination piece, right? In many ways, I think we're not only reclaiming, uh, but we are really reimagining, right? How these ancestral practices live right now in the context of the healthcare systems that we live in and don't work and in the context of you know also like really powerful tech right that's also changing people's lives um in ways that weren't possible uh for our ancestors uh so to me those things you know are not against each other uh they're very much complementary um if we can understand right the value of them the potency of them and also making them more accessible um, but I'm wondering your views on that, because I, I know you speak about, I think you speak about those things all the time on the podcast, but this is like a huge um, soapbox point for me. I'm just like, we're not going yeah. back just to go back, right? Well, it's it's impossible to just recreate something um, with that kind of accuracy, because we are just not those people. We are not our ancestors in, in that way. Um and and i for me that that creates a a weird like thing about authenticity yeah that like i'm not trying to be authentic and accurate in that way cuz that that feels very colonized mm-hmm. i'm someone who lives in diaspora that is as i'm i'm as much a californian as i am you know someone whose ancestors are from the philippines and yeah. that right now I live in Baltimore, you know, like it's all of those things are part of my experience and are part of me being in diaspora. So I'm not trying to, I'm glad you brought that up. Like I'm not trying to, to go back into what is like the most indigenous representation of, um, you know, whatever ancestral medicine means to me. And I feel like if we are, if we limit ourselves to think of ancestral medicine in that way, um, it makes it super inaccessible Yes, because part of colonization is what disconnects us from our ancestors. So I'm not trying to be in a system that disconnects, to disconnects me or anyone else further. I'm trying to think of ways that we can, um, we can access it. I mean, you are made up of your ancestors, just period. 
your blood ancestors, your non-blood ancestors, your non-human ancestors, and you are also made up of all the descendants that come after you, whether or not you have like, whether or not you have children. That's right. And so to me, that changes the orientation of, of what ancestral medicine means. Like it could literally be someone goes out in nature and just meditates in the woods and, and learns to listen. Maybe you build a, an altar to your ancestors that you know of. Maybe you don't even do ancestor veneration for your blood relatives. Maybe you're you're doing ancestor generation for your ancestors or right. you know the the ancestors of the folks whose land you live on. Like it it is a lot more flexible, I think, um, than and, and it's so open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's fine. You know, like yes, yes, yep. Make make your traditional foods, even if you've never made it before. See what that feels like. Taste the ingredients that are that are there. You know, even if you're like, <laughs> if you're someone who's like Southeast Asian, like the Philippines, I would consider as part of Southeast Asia. Um, I know that that is like de- debatable, like geographically and culturally. Mm-hmm. But like, if I pick up. Um, a pumpkin spice latte from Starbucks. Maybe that doesn't seem like a decolonial practice, but let's look at what the spices are in a pumpkin spice latte. You've got like Mm. ginger, you've got cinnamon, you've got cloves, cardamom. Mm. None Mm. of that shit grows in the U S none of that shit grows in Europe. (laughs) Where do you think it came from? (laughs) The only thing that's from the U S there is like the pumpkin. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. I've never you know, broken down a latte like that. Where does coffee come from? Coffee comes from Africa. That's right. That's so, right. And even knowing that, right? Even knowing that's powerful. Yeah. And it's magic is everywhere. Ancestral connection is everywhere. It's so layered. It's so nuanced. You don't have to feel a spiritual high to be connecting. Mm-hmm. Like so. you don't have to feel like what, like you don't have to like speak in tongues or like have like prophetic dreams or anything grand like that. Like it, it literally could just be like, you're sitting there with your latte, just thinking about it, tasting it. What does that bring up for you? Everyone's experience around that is, is going to be unique to them. Yes. I believe that so deeply. Uh, sometimes I even describe it as everyday magic. I also describe other kinds of like ceremonies, low ceremony, um, just because I really value that experience of how mundane <laughs> magic, spirit, spiritual connection, um, a sense of deepening in one's experience and existence can be. Um, and it's, yeah, it's such a contrast to eat, pray, love and all the other, you know, colonized ways we, we I think we can be programmed to experience spirituality, at least in certain parts of the U.S. and uh, certain cultures. And um, and I think we see that, too, also with like uh, plant medicine now and how folks can't just appreciate ginger, but you need to have a psychedelic experience in another part of the world that you're, you're not connected to. Um, but the magic of ginger is like right here (laughs) and you can understand, you know, where ginger comes from and what that means, even if it's not part of your own ancestral lineage, but you appreciate that plant, right. And how you experience it here. 
And I, I can't stress that more. And that's something I've actually been very um, a student of through Conjure, right? Just because in this particular lineage and tradition, right? Folks didn't have much in the plantation, right? So you do a lot with little. And I'm just like, and folks were deeply connected to spirit and, you know, creating. Um, and especially under the brutal conditions, you know, the, the terror that people lived in. And yet folks had those deep connections. I'm like, it's possible. Like you didn't, you didn't need an express, you know, expensive cushion to, <laughs> you know, have a meditative practice. You just don't. Um, and we have that experience and knowledge. So um, I, I just appreciate you bringing, bringing that to the fore here. And I just, I feel like if I can proselytize anything to anyone, it's that piece, which is, um, our connection to, to medicine is, has, I think for most people, been very simple and can continue to be simple, especially if it's medicine that feels life-affirming. It does not have to be anything special. I, yes. I mean, imagine how powerful we would actually understand ourselves to be if we knew that medicine was all around us all the time. Yes like all around us all the time. Um, I think that like having that subtle medicine, like an awareness of that subtle medicine, medicine is like very, um, it's very eye-opening. I forget it sometimes because it's so subtle and I'm trained to want an almost psychedelic experience or like a very jarring experience the way that, that Western medicine can be, you know? Yeah, that's right. But, you know, subtle's good medicine everywhere is good and it's it's there whether or not we acknowledge it or whether or not we're aware of it which i think is to me is very comforting that's true i love that yeah it's not about us we don't even have to have a species bias it's right. been there it's going to be there yeah <laughs> whether we acknowledge it or not whether we even care about it or not that's right mm -hmm. um yeah but i'm all about the the subtle the quiet um the unseen, those are the waters I like to navigate um, and also remind myself and others about. So I'm glad we touched into that a little bit. you to highlight a BIPOC group or individual that you would like to uplift for our community shout out and maybe encourage folks to redistribute resources to to check them out um, give them some visibility. So the group I'd like to lift up is the Acorn Center for Restoration and Freedom. They are Georgia based and they have been offering more public workshops and spaces, even virtually, um, particularly for uh, queer, trans, BIPOC folks. Um, and they have a lot of also Black spaces to offer folks. Um, and 
I was able to do a workshop with them as part of the Black Love Convergence back in June. Um, I was able to share um, an essay from the Black Trans Prayer Book called um, My Blackness Absorbs Every Shade of Being. And also lead us in a love letter writing exercise. And I was one of like three other practitioners in this space. And I'm also planning to do actually like a short conjure school with them coming up here in August. Um, but I'm watching them up not only because I'm doing, I'm partnering with them, but the reason I'm partnering with them is um, I think there are so few spaces that are Southern based uh, that share our values, our political values, and are holding such a range of medicine practitioners and lifting up, especially folks who may not be the most well-known, but are doing really beautiful work. So um, I want to lift them up because they're lifting a lot of other folks up who are doing this work. And I'll encourage folks to check them out. Um, they're having a number of offerings starting um, in the fall. So if you're interested in thinking about um, doing workshops or even a series of workshops uh, this fall, I would check them out. Great. Thank you so much. All right. So Rochelle, how can folks best connect to you and learn more about your work? Yes. Um, I have been spending a little bit more time on Instagram so if you want to get a sense of some of the public offerings I'm a part of, you can check me out at Rochelle Faithful Folkhealer, all one word. Um, a common way, too, that people stay in touch with me is to check out my website and to contact me on my contact form. And my website's RochelleFaithful.com. So I actually have conversations with folks ranging from ways to partner with me to even just like magic questions. And I do respond to everyone. So um, that's another way to actually just stay in really close connection. And I'll announce this now because I hope to have it finally up next month is that I am finally creating a Substack uh, that shares more um, of my writing. And I've been writing more about intergenerational healing, the conflict work I do, and some other like politics and culture stuff that I'd like to comment on just based on the things I am learning in my work. Uh, and community. So there'll be a link for that uh, probably on my Instagram, but also on my website. So if folks want to follow some more of my writing, they should um, be prepared to see that substack. Cool. Thank you so much. Definitely check out Rochelle's work. They are awesome. Thank you, Jamie. It means a lot coming from you. Thanks for being here today. We are in the metal season of Chinese medicine. If you want to learn more about what the heck that means and tips on how to live in alignment with the seasons, you can check out my zine collection or become a member of my Patreon. Shout out to Yiming for joining and being part of this community. 
Patreon members have access to a Mighty Networks community with educational modules featuring Helot and Chinese medicine. All this info is on my website at jamie-panetta-lac.com. Also, it's my birthday tomorrow. That's right, I'm a Libra. I am happily accepting delicious and beautiful things from my loved ones, getting cozy, and relishing this witchy season. This is a reminder to myself and folks living at the intersections of multiple marginalizations to celebrate yourselves audaciously. Surround yourself with obnoxious creatures that will never let you forget how truly fucking gorgeous and amazing you are. There is also still time to sign up for Burnout Burn Bright, a workshop that I will be co-facilitating with Kuan McCann. The workshop is on October 22nd, and you can get more info at buildwith.org. Maraming salamat for listening to the Decolonizing Medicine podcast. Music is by Ambro Hedda, Head Candy, and Rocky Marciano. Big thanks to Kuan McCann for audio engineering all of our episodes. And last but not least, thank you to all our listeners and supporters out there. Ingat. Ingat.